Today's passage is taken from Ephesians 5, verses 17 to 33. This is the word of God. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus says the Lord. You know, there's a story of a Christian man who was about to get married. And when he was asked if he and his fiance had done any kind of marriage counseling from the Bible, he responded by saying, nah, that's okay. I don't think we need any marriage counseling. Besides, we've never even been in an argument. Now, I don't know if you've caught that, but this Christian man had a very simple and unbiblical view of the Bible. You see, for him, a healthy marriage was a marriage where two people just simply got along and lived their lives in relative peace with little or no conflict. And therefore, any structure from the Bible was completely unnecessary. Now, those of us who've been married for some time are probably smiling right now to ourselves and saying, oh, you just wait and see. You see, his response revealed that he still had a lot to learn about the Bible's teaching on marriage. A marriage between two Christians who are significantly impacted in their lives by much remaining sin. And I'm afraid that perhaps many of us today also have a very simplistic understanding of marriage as well, especially as it relates to the specific roles that are assigned by God for men and women in the marriage relationship. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that we've all been influenced to some extent by the belief on, on gender roles and marriage in our culture. You see, our culture wrongly sees Paul as someone who still holds to the ancient belief that women are inferior to men. And so unfortunately, Paul gets labeled as a misogynist by our culture, as someone who discriminates against women. It's one thing for unbelievers to reject the Bible's teaching on marriage, and quite another thing 
for Christians to do so. And yet, if we fail to take the Bible's teaching on marriage seriously, that's exactly what we'll end up doing. We end up neglecting the obligations that we have towards our spouses in a godly Christian marriage. And since marriage was instituted by God, there are certain roles and responsibilities that he has given to us as Christians so that our marriages might properly display his glory. And the glory of God is the ultimate goal for all of our marriages as believers. Because the reality is that our marriages are meant to symbolize the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. And so the acceptance of our roles in marriage as Christians is important for us if we're to reflect the faithfulness, love, and commitment that Jesus Christ has for the church. And the ultimate goal for us that we should all be trying to display in our marriages is the glory of God. But in order to do that, we must look to the scriptures first to better understand God's purpose and design for marriage. And with that being said, we'll turn to our passage today and we'll look at it under two headings, two headings. First, the power for a godly marriage, verses 17 through 21. And then the patterns for a godly marriage with respect to the role of the woman in the marriage first and then with respect to the role of the man. But first, the power for a healthy marriage. Look at verse 18. There we're commanded to not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but instead to be filled with the Spirit. Now here's where we find the power for a godly marriage as Christians. You see, in context, Paul begins by commanding us to continue on being filled with the Spirit. In other words, what Paul is telling us right off the bat is that, okay, you want to have a marriage that glorifies God? Be filled with the Spirit. You see, the success or failure in our marriages is largely dependent upon our yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if we're struggling with anger, bitterness, and a lack of love towards other people, it's probably because we have not yet yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're struggling to find peace, love, and harmony within our marriages, it's most likely because we have not quite yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so before Paul even mentions the word submission in verse 21, before he even gets to that, he begins by first commanding us to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean for us as Christians, to be filled with the Spirit. Well, the meaning of the word filled in Greek is to make full or to be full of. It was used, for example, to refer to a person who was full of alcohol. And so that anyone who yielded themselves to alcohol was full of it and therefore under its control. And that's why Paul's command is not to be drunk with wine, but rather to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, to be filled with wine meant that you were now under its control, that it had now gained control of your senses. And so as Christians, Paul commands us to be filled, therefore, with the power of the Holy Spirit, to be under its control, to have the Holy Spirit guide our innermost thoughts and actions. And Paul is telling us that if we're led by the Spirit in this way, it will positively impact all of our relationships as Christians, 
and especially our marriages. Commenting on this, Dr. Eldon Woodcock says, to be filled with the Spirit involves an expansion and intensification of the impact of His indwelling presence in our lives. It means that He takes possession of the believer's mind, thereby pervading his or her character and guiding the individual. Now notice in verses 19 through 21, notice that there were given several examples of how we as believers may feel, live spirit-filled lives. There it says, we ought to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with our hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now what is this telling us? Well, it's telling us that the way to be filled with the Spirit is by exhorting one another in worship, teaching one another, singing together, making melody to the Lord from our hearts. And secondly, by thanking God at all times for everything we receive, both good and bad, and certainly not complaining when things don't go our way. And lastly, by submitting in all humility to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, by preferring their very own honor even above the well-being of our own self. And notice that the word submit is used here for the very first time in verse 21, as we're told to submit to other Christians out of reverence for Christ. And the term submit in this context literally means to be subject to or to subordinate. The Greek lexicon describes it even better. It describes it in this way, by voluntarily yielding oneself in love to another person. And so Paul is telling us that submission means that we willingly yield or defer to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do this in an effort to maintain the peace and unity that exists within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that Paul's reason for commanding us to submit to one another in the, at the end of verse 21. There he tells us it is out of reverence for Christ. Now the word reverence here refers to a respectful fear that we have of someone who is in authority. And so as Christians, Christ is our supreme authority. So the reason that you and I must therefore submit to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and also in our marriages is because we have a healthy and respectful fear of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. You see, what Paul is telling us is that when God is at the center of our lives as Christians, then all the other relationships in our lives will be properly ordered as well. As the Holy Spirit empowers us to submit to one another in our lives and in our marriages. And so it's important for us to first begin our study on marriage by recognizing that there is both power and grace that is supplied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that enable us, enables us to live our lives for the glory of God, the power for a godly marriage. And this brings us to our second point, which is the pattern for a godly marriage. And we'll begin first with the role of the woman in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I must admit that on the surface, this commandment seems to come off as kind of demeaning or insensitive to women of our day. And I get that. I totally do. But I want you to know that there's a reason that these specific commandments are given to the man and the woman. And we'll get, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. There's a reason that they're given to the man and the woman individually. But as Christians, it's important for us to understand that, first of all, God's commandments are designed for our good, for the restoration and preservation of our marriages as opposed to their destruction. You see, God's commandments reflect his wise and loving care for us in order to protect us in our marriages from the abuse on account of sin. And so in verse 22, Paul commands wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And notice the phrase at the end of that sentence there, as to the Lord. You see, God's command for the wife to submit to her husband assumes at least two things. First, that the woman herself is already a Christian who recognizes God's authority over her very own life and is therefore already submitted to that authority. And second, that she also understands that gender-based roles in marriages are ordained by God. And so in submitting to her husband's authority, she herself is thereby honoring God. But notice what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not asking every woman to submit to every man, every man in general, but rather that every wife must submit to her own husband. Wives submit to your own husbands. You see what Paul is saying here. He's telling us that not all relationships between a man and a woman are designed to reflect submission and headship. No. You see, women are only bound to submit to the authority of their own husbands in marriage. Why? Because both men and women are created in God's image as equals. They only have different roles to play within the marriage relationship. And this is why Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is head of the church. But I want you to notice something else. Notice what Paul says about the scope of the woman's submission in marriage. What areas is she commanded to submit to in marriage? Well, he says that wives are to submit, notice what he says, in everything to their husbands in marriage. Now, what does Paul mean by everything? Well, in the Greek, this phrase, in everything, is all-encompassing, and it basically refers to every aspect of life. Now, before you get mad at me and angry with me, let me explain first that the reason that Paul calls wives to submit to God, to men, to their husbands in everything, in marriage, is because a man and a woman function in marriage mysteriously together as one flesh. Even though they do so, by keeping their own individuality, that's neither diminished nor lost in marriage. They function together as one flesh, but yet maintain their individuality and it is never diminished. And so a spouse, as God's desire for us, is to function together cheerfully and lovingly as a whole and not completely as two completely autonomous individuals uh, who merely live together but act separately. 
And there are many married couples that do this. I've heard of many couples who have separate bank accounts where her money is her money and his money is his money. There are also couples who have different philosophies on how to raise their children, uh, where to go to church, how to invest their money. Um, should they send their kids to Christian schools and everything like that? They, they differ on so many things. But you see, God's goal for us as believers is to be unified in marriage when we make major life decisions. See, two heads are better than one. And so in marriage, God desires that the thoughts and actions of each spouse be shared with one another. But he also commands that the wife be willing to submit to her husband's authority in love whenever necessary. And trust me, I do realize from personal experience that this is not always an easy thing to do in marriage. Now, I'd like to point out a couple of things that submission does not mean as well. First, submission does not mean that the husband has the authority to treat their wives in a harsh and cruel way. This would certainly be contrary to love and would therefore violate the commandment for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And second, a wife is never bound to submit to her husband if for any reason he calls her into sin. As Peter says in the book of Acts, it is better to obey God rather than men. So then, what does appropriate submission look like for Christian women who are married? Well, in an excellent book, titled 50 Questions and Answers About Manhood and Womanhood, John Piper and Wayne Grudem answer that question like this. Listen to what they have to say. Submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It is not absolute surrender of her will, Rather, we speak of her disposition, that is, her willingness to yield to her husband's authority and guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. Christ is her absolute authority, not the husband. She submits out of reverence for Christ. The supreme authority of Christ is what qualifies the authority of her husband. And this is important for us because some men are not natural leaders and therefore not good authority leaders. But they're saying here that Christ's authority qualifies the men. They continue, she should never follow her husband into sin. Nevertheless, even when she may have to stand with Christ over against the sinful will of her husband, she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony, as she shows by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will. The wife voluntarily submits to the husband. What a beautiful statement on biblical submission. The woman's role in marriage. And now we'll look at the man's role in marriage, beginning at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So just as Paul commanded Christian women to submit to their husbands, he now commands men to love their wives. 
And notice the examples that Paul uses in order to show us what love towards our, our wives should look like. First, we're commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And then we're told that Christ's love caused him to give himself up for the church. And so we can see that from these examples that the kind of love that we're called to as Christian men is both particular and sacrificial. Particular and sacrificial. How so? Well, Christ's love for the church is particular in the sense that it is an electing love. An electing love. You see, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that we, the church, were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. You see, this passage teaches us the mysterious doctrine of election, that God chooses particular human beings to be saved, that he lovingly sets them apart from all other people. And so the love of Christ for us and our salvation was particular in the sense that it compelled him to set us apart by electing us from, and choosing us from every other human being in the world by making us the objects of his love, devotion, and companionship. And through faith, we are mysteriously united to him as we become one flesh in union with his bride, the church. And brothers, likewise as Christian husbands, whenever you set your desire on a woman to take her to be your wife, you also elect her. And you set her apart from every other woman in the world in order to make her the very object of your own special love and affection. And in marriage, you officially pledge your love and devotion to her as you both become one flesh companions for life. Therefore, as husbands, our relationship with our wives are a glorious illustration of the very same love that Jesus Christ has for the church. It is a particular and electing love. But the second way that Christ commands us as Christians to love our wives is a sacrificially, sacrificial kind of love. You see, Christ's love for his bride, the church, was completely sacrificial in the sense that he gave himself up for her. In other words, Christ died on the cross of Calvary by suffering in our place and bearing the punishment for sin that we ourselves deserve. And he did that in order to satisfy the wrath of God. And so the kind of love that God requires of us as Christian men involves sacrifice. You see, we cannot love our wives as Christ loved the church without some kind of sacrifice on our part. And according to Paul, there are two reasons that Christ sacrificed himself for his bride, the church. Look at verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the wa washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that she might be holy and blameless. You see, Christ gave, him, gave himself up to the church that she might be cleansed and purified by the washing of water, by the word. Now, what does Paul mean when he says that the church was cleansed by the washing of the water with the word? Well, you remember that Jesus told his disciples something similar to this when he said they were clean because of the word that he had spoke to them. In other words, 
Jesus sanctified his disciples through the power of the word, the very word that he himself taught them. This means that the word of God in the gospel functions as some kind of a cleansing agent, and it's very necessary for the spiritual growth and sanctification of believers. So as husbands, our calling, men, is to sanctify our wives by assisting them in their spiritual growth through the study of God's word. Brothers, we must make it a priority to make sure that our wives are being properly instructed in God's word so that they can grow and mature in the Christian faith. And it's definitely to our benefit that they do, to, that they do so because their learning the word will definitely make our marriages that much better in the long run. And if you're not great at studying the Bible with your, with your wife, then you ought to encourage her to join other women's groups where she can grow and learn in the word. And this means that every now and then you might be responsible for watching the kids while she takes time to study and grow and learn God's word. And so Paul's command to us as husbands is that we willingly seek opportunities to contribute to the spiritual growth and maturity of our wives. But also, brothers, the most important way that we can love and edify our wives is simply loving them sacrificially as Jesus loved. You see, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, there's a great example of the way Jesus loved his bride in John 13. You remember when Jesus laid aside his garments, he took up a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. Well, listen to what he said to them. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example so that you may do just as I have done. You see, by humbling ourselves and taking the posture of a servant, that's the very blueprint, brothers, for the Christian life, especially in our relationship with our wives. So as men, we need to shift our focus off the way that our wives are treating us and turn our focuses on the way that we're loving serving our wives and our marriages. That's the gospel pattern. That's how Christ loved his church and gave himself for her. Since our marriages as Christians are pictures of Christ's love for the church, any of us who are husbands, brothers, any of us, if we abuse uh, our wife or mistreat her in any way, we indirectly communicate to others a false representation of Jesus' love for his bride, the church. And so as men, the success or failure of our, of, of our witness to a watching world is largely dependent upon how we treat our wives in our marriages. You know, <clears throat> in conclusion, a lot has been made about this passage in the Bible that Paul teaches here, about the wife submitting to her husband and the husband loving the wife. And there are all kinds of reasons, I think, that people do that. But today I'd like to suggest another reason that I believe is more related to the teaching of the Bible as a whole. Do you remember the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? Well, one of the judgments that God inflicted upon them uh, had an impact upon their marriage itself. Listen to what God said to Eve. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. You see, according to this passage, in marriage, a wife desires her husband's authority and control, while the husband himself consistently abuses it and rules over her in a very cold and unloving way. You see, he lacks love and she lacks the willingness to submit. And so the God-ordained roles of submission for the woman and love for the man were made almost impossible by the fall. And that's why Paul gave the specific command to the man to love his wife and the specific command to the woman to submit to her husband. You see, God is restoring what we lost in the fall. He restores to us the ability to love our wives and the ability to women to love, to submit to their husbands in marriage. You see, God's goal in our marriages is to restore the peace, love, and unity that existed before sin entered the equation. And this means that our marriages as Christians are living illustrations of the salvation and restoration of the world through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the judgment that God inflicted upon the world because of sin is reversed in Christ as we are restored to God's image and able to live spirit-empowered marriages for the glory of God. And this was all made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection will ultimately bring us far more than we ever could have gained in Adam. Praise God for giving us so great a salvation. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that you've not only redeemed us, Lord, but you've also redeemed our marriages and given us the power of your spirit, Lord, to live spirit-empowered marriages. You've given us as men the ability to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And you've given women the ability and also the disposition and desire to submit to their husbands in marriages. Help us, therefore, Lord, to live marriages and lives that are pleasing to you so that the watching world may see our lives and turn to you in repentance and faith. Thank you so much, Father, for your love to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.